Welcome to the Joyfulness Broadcast. On this episode, we've got a cool episode, Julian Palmer. So I'll introduce you, Julian, as the plant-based research dude. <laughs> the guy who researches plants for a living and I met through the ayahuasca facilitation. Julian facilitates ayahuasca um, circles or sessions, drinking sessions. And um, I was very... I remember during my session, I'd look up to Julian and I'm like, wow, this guy's full of so much wisdom. <laughs> I was very grateful to have you as a facilitator, uh, especially in that space. Um, so thank you for being here, Julian, and looking forward to see what comes of it. No worries. No worries. Always enjoy doing these podcast interviews. It's cool. Yeah. Nice. So what did you just drink? You just drank something. You want to tell us? <laughs> I just drank a little uh, vial of this product called Livespocolon, which is a, a liquid spore-based probiotic. Um, been taking for six weeks now, and I'm going to take at least for another six weeks. And um, I've been getting great results from it because they say that most probiotics don't really penetrate into the colon. And these uh, particular strains of probiotics go on search and destroy missions for the bad bacteria. So for many people, they've got bad bacteria in their gut, um, perhaps from the use of antibiotics. Um, and so, yeah, I'm finding that, that uh, because I, 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 I evidently do have some issues with bad bacteria because I can just feel a lot of, shift in myself when I'm uh, after taking these probiotics, just like whole sort of maybe just a kind of wonkiness leaving the building, you know, a kind of like a sort of der brain consciousness that's kind of in my gut. Oh, wow. um, so there's a lot of research on the biome and the relation to the brain these days. So um, I think these, um, yeah, these, these, these kinds of, uh, probiotic technologies is going to get more popular as people get real results from them. Well, that's what matters results. Mm, mm. <laughs> matters. So I've seen on your, on your email list, you're like always mentioning all the different things you're trying. <laughs> so these pro probiotics are just one of the latest things. So you just, you just kind of like try out whatever comes up. <laughs> well, I, the, the funny thing about it is I I did find out about spore-based probiotics on the Luke Story uh, podcast, The Lifestylist. It's actually a really good podcast. You might have come across. And he advertises on his podcast. So I bought some. Um, only one place in Australia sold them. And I tried them. And immediately I got this effect. I could feel them working on me. But they weren't that great. Like it wasn't really noticeable. And the funny thing was, because Facebook knows everything about you, um, there was a period of time where I'm just buying heaps of shit. Not like heaps, but a few things from Facebook. Um, and one of them was the liquid spore-based probiotics. And immediately when I took a vial, I could feel it like five times more intensely than the capsule spore-based probiotics. And I'm like, this stuff is awesome. <laughs> the capsule ones, the ones that just you get at the store, right? Yeah, no, but they're spore-based probiotics. So the, the probiotics, the idea is they're encapsulated in a spore so they can survive the, the, um, um, 
the process of getting down deep into your gut. If they're in the fridge, they're not going to survive 38 degrees in your gut, you know. So most probiotics, um, they say, most probiotics say, you know, 95% of all the billions of bacteria are not going to survive it to, to your gut. So, um, yeah, I've been, I did a, recently did a, a 14 day fast and okay. now I'm doing a parasite cleanse as well. Candida parasite cleanse. So taking the probiotics was like a prequel to doing the parasite cleanse and getting a lot of positive results from the probiotics for sure. The 14 day fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How'd, how'd that go? Great. Great. I've been fasting for um, uh, a couple of decades, <clears throat> actually, maybe once a year, twice a year. And I'd say this was the first time that I've done a fast and I haven't felt really gnarly. I haven't felt tired. I did feel tired at times, but I haven't feel really weak. And mm. I felt like perhaps I got to the point where my body had processed a lot of the toxins and stuff that we've all got to process in our daily in our world these days there's so many chemicals in the environment and plastics and we've all been brought up eating a lot of food with herbicide and pesticides and um so yeah it i think it takes a long time to really process all this material and really come back to yourself so when you do a fast, you're not consuming anything. You just say you're drinking water, mm. uh, pure water, and you just you're not taking anything into your body, and your body begins detoxifying, and you become more, you come more in contact with yourself. And uh, I took a, a high dose San Pedro um, during the fast. Yeah, <laughs> I was in Alice Springs and I took it in a gorge an hour from Alice Springs. Uh, 70 dried grams of San Pedro. Um, and the dose was like 20, 30 grams, 15, maybe 15, 30 grams. And yeah, it, and I didn't feel weak, didn't feel tired. I was full power the whole night. I did it all night, the moonlit night in a gorge. And it was awesomely beautiful and powerful. <laughs> Dude, nice. Wait, so that, actually, that's a good segue. So, because, you know, before, like kind of talking about ayahuasca, because a lot of people seem to be very interested in it. <laughs> um, before um, meeting you, I think the presumption was that like there was only one route of going about it, like ayahuasca drinking and stuff was like mm -hmm. the shamanistic route and stuff, you know, go to the Amazon and drink, drink in the Amazon with some shamans. And then when I met you, your approach, correct me if I'm wrong, was just basically give you, a, from what I remember, you like, I give you a bit high dose, <laughs> high dose and let the plant work on you. And it was very different to like, cause you don't consider yourself a shaman or anything. You're just a facilitator, right? That's how you consider. Just a humble chaiwala, not even a facilitator. <laughs> a what? Chai Walla. Chai! 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 I don't know what that is. Oh, it's tea. It's tea. Oh, oh, chai. Oh, okay. 
so what's i mean what can you tell so imagine if there's someone imagine if there's a listener right now who's listening and they maybe like interested in ayahuasca and they have these preconceptions about it what would you say (laughs) well this is the thing like traditionally and we're talking about a huge area of land the amazon you have some indigenous tribes not all of them drink ayahuasca and some of them just drink ayahuasca by itself they don't add any dmt and they all have different traditions um and i haven't met that many people who've really gone out to the amazon and drunk with the more remote tribes but the people have tell me the same thing they're like they have indigenous cosmologies they similar to the say the australian indigenous dreamtime stories right and they have a quite um uh, direct communication, communicate, uh, communion with the rainforest and with the medicine. I have heard of people drinking with the schwa in, in, in Colombia. And they said they drank in the daytime and the schwa all uh, take the ayahuasca together in the day in the rainforest as a celebration. Wow. So there's no shaman. Um, the word shaman is a Western idea. It, really? Yeah. It comes from the, from Siberia, the word. Um, so they, in, in the Amazon, say in the, the community of people who live in the Amazon, and the Amazon has been populated and infiltrated by colonial forces for 500 years or so. So it's not like the Amazon is this sort of like pristine place. It's, it's been heavily colonized. And what you have um, is a lot of mixed race people, um, which means that they're people who are from different tribes and also people, um, the people from, of European descent as well. So that's called um, mestizo. And the mestizo culture is probably the predominant culture you'll come across if you go to the Amazon. So you go to Iquitos, which was like a big, um, which became a bit of a boom town. I think it was in the uh 19th century it started to become a boom town for rubber and so you know there was a lot of uh industrial exploitation of the amazon that started at that time and you've got so you've got a lot of mixing of the races and you've got the introduction of christianity for example so a lot of the tribes converted to christianity Mm. and so if you go to, well, I suppose if you went to Iquitos 20 years ago and you drank with a shaman or a curandero, they would be more openly representing their Christian heritage because the mestizo tradition is 
uh, a lot of it's Christian. These days, a lot of the, the curanderos um, around Iquitos and in the Amazon in general, they're not going to be advertising those Christian elements that, <laughs> because the gringos don't want them. They, they're, not, they're not down with that. That's not part of the, the, um, the story that the gringos, who were the, basically the white people who were the predominant people coming to the Amazon, the European people from America, Australia, um, North America. Um, so the mestizo culture is quite advanced, you know, interspersed with the mestizo culture. You do have, say, the Shipibo culture, who are an indigenous tribe and they have their own language. And, you know, they have a very, very, each of these, um, each of these cultures, say Mestizo culture in general and Shipibo culture, for example, and Shua culture. And then you've got these uh, different tribes in say Colombia as well and Venezuela. So you've got all these different approaches to ayahuasca. And then you've got Brazil as well, where you've got the churches, and then you've also got the shamans in Brazil who give people ayahuasca in the state of Acre. Um, but there's one thing that if you're a gringo and you're coming in to drink with people in um, South America, in the Amazon, that basically you're going to be experiencing something that is very much a new form. It's not something that existed uh, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I just heard a podcast with Dave Asprey. I don't know if you come across him, the Bulletproof Radio guy. And he said, I think he went in, in the late 90s, he went to a ketos to drink ayahuasca. And they were like, dude, what do you want to drink that for? You know, there just wasn't many people <laughs> coming to drink it you know at that point it's just something that the locals did and uh all the shamans took for their own shamanism and psychic warfare and what we call most of us would call dark sorcery and uh, the shamans would take it to do healing work with people and people would people would regular people would take it but just in a light dose they wouldn't take a very strong visionary dose so when Jonathan Ott and Terence McKenna went to the Amazon in the 80s, they both had to say uh, to the curanderos, hey, put more of the plants with DMT in with the ayahuasca because that's going to give us the visions and that, that's what we want. So that is a kind of fundamental message that I've been passing on to people since then that, hey, like high DMT doses with a visionary aspect it's something that's only been going on a couple of decades. I went to the first Amazonian shamanism conference in 2005, 15 years ago. And that was really when ayahuasca tourism hit big time. That's when all these operators started to go, hey, okay, now we're, now we're rocking and rolling. Now the gringos are coming and, and they've been, they've been coming in greater increasing numbers since then because ayahuasca is legal in Peru. And even then, say in 2005, it's fairly hit and miss the experiences that you'd have. Like 
I always felt a little bit dissatisfied with the experiences that I was having sometimes because like I said, what they're doing is in no way traditional. They're, there's not a culture where the shamans are giving other people high dose visionary experiences. So this is something that they had to develop just in the last say two decades um, because more people like Dave Asprey and Terence McKenna and Jonathan Ott came along and said, hey, we wanna we want see visions. So they started putting much more Shakruna or Charlie Pong in the brew and they had to develop a way of um, giving ayahuasca to the gringos and um, guide them, basically. So really, you, 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 you're basically being guided and led through an experience. Often there'll be helper spirits that you can communicate with there. Um, I always found it quite distracting. You know, it felt like a lot of Hollywood special effects and big visual experience, but and I come out, come out of it feeling a bit superficially cleansed. And okay, did I really look into myself? Did I really, you know, what did I really understand about who I am? So when I went to the Amazonian Shamanism Conference in 2005, and I gave a talk there in 2006. And I drank with all these different curanderos and I drank with some indigenous tribes and, and I did a dieta deep in the Amazon. The message was just go back to the West and keep doing what you're doing, developing what you're doing. Because my uh, focus is not about guiding people. It's not about uh, giving people visions. It's about bringing people, um, allowing people to communicate with the plants themselves to have mm. that contact with the plant medicine and to come back to their own truth to themselves rather than being distracted by uh, a show, you know, being distracted by someone's songs, being distracted by uh, this idea of culture. You know, I'm very much down with Terence McKenna's idea that culture is not your friend. So I'm creating a space when I facilitate, it's a cultureless space. But the thing about the cultural space is the cultural space is a space where culture is can arise. You know, you're creating a petri dish where stuff can occur. So when I first started facilitating groups um, in the early noughties, I would people would start come out singing alien languages, for example. You know, you'd have these you'd have uh, all these unexpected experiences occur. So, you know, I think there's a big, there's a big element within people and society that people are scared of going insane, they're scared of dying, you know, they're scared of chaos. This, you know, there's so, they're scared of ruffling their hair and you know, not having their water bottle by their side and, you know, vomiting and getting vomit on their clothes and all this stuff, right? So basically, yeah, this space is one in which ideally um, you're really called to, to, to come into contact with what is most relevant, what is important, um, 
you know, have a look at yourself, um, make contact with the plants and engage with the healing that they can facilitate. So, yeah, that's my, you know, not, <laughs> not really long-winded, but that's my <laughs> medium-winded response. That's such a good response. That's so amazing because it's not, it's not, I don't know anyone else that I've ever heard that from in terms of the talking about, well, what you said about it being a recent, from your emails is when I first, or your blog post, one of those, when I first uh, read that it wasn't, like you were saying, it's like 20 years tradition. It's not like a 500 year old <laughs> thing that we've, you know, in, in the stories, the stories are like that I hear all the time also is like, I want to go and do it like authentically and stuff, but that's just the story, isn't it? Um, story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you sure you can, you can drink with these indigenous groups, you know, you can drink with Shipibo people, for example, and yeah, it's authentic, but you might not have the visions that you want to, that you may want to get because the Shipibo medicine, I love it personally. For me, it's like, you know, it's a, um, it's, it's, it's a kind of very fine wine that I appreciate and understand. But if you're new to ayahuasca uh, and you drink some Shipibo medicine, your average punt is going to be like, all right, Where's where's the giant serpents? Where's where's where, where's the, the 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 sexy rainforest mummers? Like this is I'm not seeing anything, you know. <laughs> so yeah, authentically, yeah, sure, you can drink ayahuasca with the tribal people, but um, they might not give you a high dose, a high DMT uh, containing brew. Um, so you're going to be wanting to pay. I'm not sure what the latest prices are, but probably 50 to 100 US dollars when I was there and, and go to one of these centers where they know how to how to make a brew that's going to make you see some crazy ass shit. <laughs> oh, man. So how did you, because you've been, so you've been like researching or facilitating uh, for like almost two decades, right? Mm-hmm. How, yeah. how, what, how, how is it different now, how you facilitate to how it was at the start? Well, I suppose my approach has always been like hands off. I don't have my, I don't, you know, try not to touch people, you know, I try not to like get in their space and interfere with what they're going into. So kind of figure that the plants are doing what they need to be doing with the person. So I try and really just um, not hold space because I think that's a bit of a cliche. And I don't think you can hold space, but I think you can give people space. And I think you can allow people to go into what they need to go into. And I think that's the toughest thing for facilitators to do because the facilitator often isn't very confident. They might, they might have some issues with self-esteem and they might want to be thinking that they need to provide some value to the person but the thing is does the person want to see you do the monkey dance in front of them um, and you know play the rattle and sing a song be a performer or do they want to do the work which is in the space especially in the higher doses 
So you have a lot of facilitators slash shamans, curanderos, whatever you want to call them, who are performers. And that's fine. Like, if that's what you want, there's a lot of people doing that. I'd say there's less people who are being transparent, who are really trying to get out of the way and giving you space to have the, the journey and um, in the context of a container that is um, aligned with your highest good as well. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, that's like, I think that's very important to hear, at least for someone going in. I mean, I, I feel like I was very almost like led by grace to you <laughs> because I didn't do like any research into facilitators. I just saw, I don't even remember how, I think maybe I somehow came across you um, and your blog posts and stuff. Um, <laughs> just kind of did it and it was really good. And then it turns out and then you're saying that there's, I remember you were saying that there are a lot of facilitators who, like you're saying, don't have the highest good in mind. So for any listener, is there any, any, like any way that they could um, protect themselves from, from fall, fall, falling into that or anything to look out for to make sure that. Well, it's really quite hard because what you have is a, the marketplace is just getting bigger and bigger and more competitive and the people who are facilitating, they're getting better at marketing. And a lot, unfortunately, a lot of the people who get into this and they're not getting into it for the right reasons. Um, a lot of the people who do this, they are driven by money, sex, power, status, uh, all that stuff. Um, and unfortunately, as it happens in the Amazon, a lot of the the curanderos there get caught up in these mechanisms. Um, you know, some of them maintain their integrity, but they're the greater minority, actually. So I did drink in Colombia recently with a guy who you just did a group for us, very a handful of us. And he said he didn't want to get do big groups. He didn't want to get bigger and do, do more than what he was doing because he'd seen too many of his friends become these shaman rock stars and become completely corrupted. And unfortunately, that is the predominant paradigm. And ayahuasca can... Ayahuasca's profound healer, you know, I don't think there's, you know, if there's any plant on this earth, um, it's, it's one of the most um, healing herbs that you can take. Like I take lots of herbs from all over the world. When the Chinese get onto this, you know, the world is going to change. You know, <laughs> there's a Chinese going to be like, whoa, this shit's better than ginseng, right? Um, so in that in that context yeah 
it can do a lot of powerful healing work with the body and it can really you can you, you can really do the work on your psyche and your psychology but it's just a tool as well like it's up to you how you use it and you can use the tool in a way where the tool kind of works against you as well where you so maybe misuses the wrong word but you can use the tool in such a manner where you might actually sort of get the reverse results of what you want. So I think with ayahuasca at times, it can be trolling us. It can be sort of like making fun of us <laughs> and telling us about our stories and our egos and our life and sort of, you know, almost making a parody of the human intentionality and what human beings really want and how they really want to live. And I think for many people, uh, and I've experienced this with ayahuasca, it can really sort of show you an almost like animalistic egotism, you know, and it can definitely amplify the ego. You can come into this incredible power. You can come into these special, you know, spheres of power and influence and, you know, you can feel you're a rock star and that can really amplify your ego as well. Mm -hmm. And so what happens in the Amazon is you have all these like rock stars, shamans, and this has been going on before the gringos arrived, who, you know, are playing this game so-called where they're developing more power and they're engaging in that video game of life that they have activated through ayahuasca where they're really coming into, you know, they're really getting the power up scores and they hit, they're finding all the blue coins and the, and the, and the buried treasure that most people never find. Right. And so they're like, woohoo, like full power. But then there's, there's other, um, there's other guys who are doing the same thing as well that they feel like they're competing against so what happens is they there's a thing called envia which is basically envy which um a lot of people don't understand that envia is what appears to drive a lot of the intentionality behind a lot of the um, shamans in the amazon that they are actually fighting one another and they're using dark magic to destroy one another and for us, um, you know, that's a lot of people were like, oh, no, I thought they were like holy, pure shamans. Like, <laughs> no, that couldn't be true. It's like, like you were saying before, people, people are really happy with their illusions. They want, they want to project their illusions onto these like quote unquote poor people who are not, who are quite happy to sort of like, you know, take on board those projections and respond to them as long as they're getting paid. And they might well be, you know, that might be part of their video game where they're getting more French chicks than the other shaman. And <laughs> they're literally getting piles of gold put before their feet. And so they're really fucking happy with the deal. But then what you're, what you, what you're getting is 
a lot of these um, shamans are fighting one another. And I haven't been back for 15 years. And it was pretty, it was pretty serious. Like there was, a, there's a lot of dark stuff going on there. I can only imagine what it's like now, you know? And of course you've got a lot more people who, you know, they saw their brother-in-law give ayahuasca to some tourists and make some cash. Suddenly he's becoming a shaman, you know, and he might not do the proper training, you know, mm. he just, you know, buys the right feathers and says the right things. And so you're getting a dilution where the quality people are harder to find. Um, but also there is the phenomena um, that, you know, that they, I think someone from California said this, plastic people deserve plastic shamans. So, you know, there's a lot of shonky Western people out there as well. Um, and a, a lot of sick people, unfortunately, that, you know, if, if you are shonky, maybe you deserve a shonky shaman. And, you, you know, you're the one who's pulling the trigger. You're the one going, hey, I'm drinking with that guy who might have just started doing this six months ago, he doesn't really know what he's doing. You're the one choosing to do that. So you've got to use your discernment. Unfortunately, a lot of people, they don't have discernment. They're not, you know, what do they say? There's a sucker born every minute. So, and these people are going to be, they're going to be going after you in a sort of predatory sense where they're going to be um, looking at your illusions. They're going to study your projections and your fantasies and your ideas. And they're going to promise a great deal and probably not deliver that much. Um, you know, maybe the ayahuasca is good. Maybe it's not. Maybe the shaman puts a curse on your girlfriend and makes her fall in love with you and <laughs> makes, sorry, makes her fall in love with him and, the fit, okay, well, he's like 86 years old. So it becomes a bit crazy, you know? So you hear these stories all the time. It's so, you know. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I guess you have. Oh, yeah. You hang out with, yeah. Oh, it's normal. And the, you even have people, they think they've drunk with a good guy. And then they might realize further down the track, wait on, this guy is really making me think he's someone that he's not and he's 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 feeding me a story and marketing himself through me and i've become a sort of marketing beacon for this guy and now i'm starting to question his integrity so you know there's no such thing as integrity in the in the jungle the jungle is not you know it's a predatory predatory zone basically um, so yeah, it's a rude wake up call for a lot of people. And, uh, that's why, yeah, maybe I'll go, go back to the Amazon, but I've got no major interest in that paradigm. It's a very, it's like, a, it's like a video game, you know, all of what's going on. There's like a video game and I'm like, yeah, that's not, it's not interesting to me. So I, I, I never, you know because I'm not playing that video game, I don't get attacked. But as soon as you start wearing, say, Shipibo uniform, 
as soon as you start culturally appropriating and using certain songs, you're in the video game. So you find that people who are working with this paradigm, they might start to get attacked and they're like, whoa, 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 you know? So yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And I think it's really important for people to look at their cultural illusions. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, because say in a country like Australia, uh, you know, most of us, I'd say, you know, most of us, what, 60% these days, I suppose, or 70% or whatever, uh, or, the, or let's say the foundations of Australia are colonial Europeans who don't really have a, a, a cultural Indigenous foundation. Um, you know, we lost our Indigenous culture a long time ago. We don't know what our forefathers practised um really uh in terms of say people who are of um english irish scottish descent say we don't know what our indigenous culture was 2000 years ago so there's been a disconnection from our indigenous roots and I think a lot of people are trying to find their roots. They're trying to find some culture to really um, get grounded because they feel, you know, they feel that they don't have a good connection to the earth. I would say, look, don't worry about the culture. That's an intermediary. Connect to the earth on its own terms, you know, mm -hmm. spend a lot of time in nature um spend spend time with plants and animals and connect to the earth you don't need a culture you know maybe you know there are techniques and technologies to connect to the earth you know when i took cactus in the desert i found myself holding on to one leaf from a tree and feeling myself merge with the tree and i think if you take enough cactus <laughs> You, this is this is uh you know it's it's not hard to have this experience where you're merging with a tree you're merging with nature so yeah i feel like there is this sort of spiritual poverty in a say in a country like australia people don't really have you know they've sort of forsaken the ver the quite moralistic constraints of catholicism and christianity and they want to find some true spirituality and you can you can have authentically spiritual experiences when you take a tryptamine which say if you take ayahuasca or you take mushrooms but you don't need any of the culture you know i like kalindi Iyi's approach the um who who he he, he deceased um in April of this year of COVID-19 actually. And he would recommend that people take very high dose psilocybin, like plus 10 grams, even up to 50 grams. And in that instance, there's no chance or opportunity for culture. There's just, there's just that. <laughs> even smoking DMT, you smoke DMT, there's no culture. You're just in the space. It's just pure, you know? Even if someone was to 
shake a rattle and dance a dance or play some music, you're not going to hear it because you're just totally immersed. So I think like this is where we're at. We need to become connected to um, and really immerse ourselves in reality. And so for me, my reality might be quite different to other people's reality because in my reality, um, I experience that, yeah, okay, well, the physical dimension is one expression of consciousness, but there are many different, perhaps infinite expressions of consciousness and life force. And so to me, this is evident and obvious and our world is um, within our own world. There are different beings that are not visible with the physical eye that are more visible with the etheric eye, such as nature spirits and uh, malefic beings or what pretty much all traditional cultures would call like evil spirits. Um, so for me, that's evident, obvious, whereas the Western culture would say, as soon as you start talking about stuff like that, they, they make the presum presumption, of course, without any evidence at all, without any foundation, hey, that's not real. You're mad. That's an illusion. You're sick. Hey, take some antipsychotics and you'll start to just, you know, focus on the physical reality you know that's that's just madness whereas i would say it's madness to not be aware to be disconnected from reality which um is not just seen with the physical eye it's seen with the say with the third eye which is which is our not our cultural heritage, but it's our innate human spiritual heritage is seeing reality with our spiritual eye. So. <laughs> also, I have a question um, in terms of the, you know, ayahuasca and plant-based medicines um, and, you know, all this, all this stuff. And, and even, you know, as you realm kind of go into these realms, I could definitely sense how, I mean, there's all this new stuff and it gets really exciting because <laughs> you're like, what the hell? This thing has been here the whole time. Is there, but then if we return, speaking of spirituality and like going back to the core of like something as simple as what, what am I? Do you feel like that could distract like seeing all these new beings and, um, and, and that they're there, like experientially, they're real <laughs> and you can see them and, there's all this new there's like a new dimension to the game there's a yep. new dimension to the game but the the new dimension is its own game and it still doesn't answer the simple question what am i <laughs> do you feel like that could distract from the from the fundamental question what am i yes or, yep it can i think you can have this phenomena of like psychonautism let's call it <laughs> where you just like you know you're smoking dmt all the time and you're like wow kapow you know yeah um so i think that can be 
hugely distracting. And I generally, I don't find many people continuing on the psychonautic path because at some point things start to get heavy. Um, I think you might have come across a YouTube channel of your mate Tom, who I think um, he was in a way not pursuing the psychonautic path and there's nothing wrong with it. Like having exploring these spaces is a really good idea in some respects because you're being an explorer, you're being curious, you wanna know what's out there. But really it's like, you can't map hyperspace, you know, it's, it's too big, it's infinite. You know, there's so much out there and there's so much going on. That's what I was initially told when I first started trying to smoke DMT because DMT is not easy to smoke. And I was told really early on, like, hey, before we show you all this, just remember you're having a human experience. You're a human being. You got to focus on living the best life you can. We can show you all this stuff, but you know, in a way they were saying, don't let it distract you. Mm. Focus on what you have because what you have is valuable and important. So that's what I've been doing since, you know, I think it's really important to stay grounded and, um, and also being aware that, that of, of um, these many facets and dimensions of human experience, because for me, since becoming aware and opening my eyes, my experience of human life is just a lot richer. Mm. Uh, there's just a lot more there. You know, I've just accessed um, my experience of reality. It's just a lot deeper. There's a lot more going on and there's a lot more that I don't understand as well. know it's like um i can't remember which greek philosopher it was who said the first thing that i realized when i became enlightened is that i didn't know anything <laughs> and i think this is really this is what i think this is where a lot of people these days who are really stuck on scientific materialism perhaps it would be good for them to come to this zero point where they, they give up their clunky um, tool-based idea um, that they can perceive reality through the mind, that the mind can interpret reality. It can to some degree, but there's a lot of stuff you can't understand with the mind through thinking there's so it's more even like someone like myself who believes and understands that i can understand reality more from i would say my more central receptive let's say intuitive extrasensory feeling empathetic levels let's say even then 
I don't understand what's going on. I'm just experiencing it. And the more I experience of reality, I can get clues about how things work and I can see, you know, how things happen at times. But a lot of the time, it's, I think, in just our human experience, especially related to what we're really feeling inside that of course a lot of people in our society just taking it like one in eight people in Australia taking SSRIs and I think they're not having a human experience anymore they're just having a drone experience you know they're having a Chinese drone experience they're not having a human experience anymore so you know this is our predominant paradigm the drone the drone paradigm and um I think that yeah the scientific materialism is the religion for the drone paradigm and that hey only what the drone can perceive and understand the meat space the physical already understood already um you know backed up by scientific research is real you know and i think um yeah when you start going into this you realize there's so much to explore there's so much to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I've just continued to understand many potential spaces of um, exploration that that is a real, could be a real niche. You know, I guess if I were to take any particular branches of understanding, I could just focus on one of them and spend a whole lifetime just going into one of those focuses. Because um, as I understand it, we are evolving, you know, we are learning and there's so much more that we haven't, you know, understood. And at times it's like talking or communicating with some people they have the idea. Yeah, we've un- we've we've got it all down, bro. It's all understood. Yeah, science has got it sorted. <laughs> we- <laughs> so that's just fucking bullshit. Like in a thousand years, we're gonna understand so much more than we understand now. Say the human species, assuming we're around now. So yeah, I prefer to align with the um, that that sense of maybe. Um, open-mindedness and um, perhaps excitement that there's many um, potentials to explore and you know like I said become grounded in what I can do right here right now in my human experience you know what 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 is it you know you come back to sort of not just who am I but who am I in relationship to the world, you know, because it's a little bit like Martin Buber, I, thou, who you are is only um, manifested related to who you're relating to. If you're just hanging out by yourself, which a lot of people have been doing recently in the world, um, the freaky part of that is there's no one to tell you who you are. There's this you. And so there's great medicine in that, but it's also highly confrontational because your your ego structure is no longer being um, reflected back at you. 
So you kind of have to, you know, you might get a lot more um, reflection about who you are and how you're being. So, you know, I feel that's really important, spending time by yourself, but also I think in terms of being an effective grounded human being, each of us has, have got to ask and understand to some degree, perhaps, all right, what's really going on with the human species right now? What are we, what are we really doing? And um, what do we want to do? How do we want to live? How do we want to be with one another? Rather than, you know, accept or understand what culture tells us about who we are and what is going on, I would, I prefer to question everything you know, and um, not in not in a superficial manner, but just not accept that not not accept or or presume that, hey, we really know why we're here and what we're doing in the first place, you know. So I think if we accept a fundamental uncertainty and begin to sort of look at reality with fresh eyes, and um, you know, interpret the data in such a way that we can uh, come at it, come at it in a way which might give some innovation, I suppose, give some fresh um, data. Because I think what we really need is, in a sense, because what we're doing now, collectively people people are not happy you know <laughs> things aren't working out you know the ecology's being destroyed and there are many many different issues within society so i think that it's important to really come back to this uh questioning where we really uh hopefully find some maybe not answers, but perhaps some focuses, some approaches, some new ways whereby we can really get some clarity of mind and, and um, you know, move forward so that, you know, we don't need to drink a bottle of vodka every day, <laughs> you know, or smoke pot all the time. Um, or, you know, be addicted to pornography or any number of like self-destructive uh, activities and hopefully become more proactive and motivated to really do something um, that, that helps the human endeavor move forward, even though Sometimes it might seem hopeless that things are going to, you know, hit the wall. I think we are in a, um, a very interesting movie, a collective movie. And I do think that we've got to, um, you know, we, we do have to have hope and we do have to focus on getting, getting our own rig sorted so that we are as, balanced and aligned and functional in a spiritual human sense um, and put the effort in because I think a lot of people 
what are they really doing? Why are they really living? How, what are they focusing on? You know, c consumerism is just ridiculous. It's, it's, it's not satisfactory in providing people with what they really need. And uh, yeah, I like to come back to relationship because I think relationship is often absent. You know, the, in the drone world, you just got all the drones out there in the world competing, playing bumper car and mm. out there in the rat race. Um, that's, that's why people are so isolated and lonely and unhappy and, um, you know, reaching for the beers is because they've bought into the, the, the drone paradigm and the drone paradigm is, is primary. So we've got to ask like, okay, you know, fundamental questions. What is it to be human? How can we be human? How can we relate? How can we be friends? How can we be lovers? All that sort of stuff. How can we, um, you know, manifest our, uh, you know, God given uh, potentials? How can we manifest human potential? How can we, become awake you know i don't like these simplistic sort of um questions how do i become enlightened because enlightenment is just about you you know enlightenment's just like hey how can i become like super with it and you know i've got the prize and i'm i'm the king of the mountain and i'm the champion now and i've transcended suffering and i'm and are up there with the borders and all that sort of thing. So I'm not down with that. I've never seen any evidence or proof of that. I think that's a kind of a scam. Um, I'm more, I'm more into having a think about what kind of culture that we as humans would like to create um, for one another in an ideal world. I think that's, more what we need to do rather than have these assumptions that there's some like state that we can arrive at that's going to be just joyful and blissful and hey everything's good I'm good you're good I'm just gonna like sit in lotus position until I'm a thousand and live in my wonderful enlightened state you know no this is not how things are working from my perspective it's like how how things work is that um yeah we're all we're all in this together and at this point i think a lot of people got to pull their finger out because um yeah we're we're we're, we're heading towards a global catastrophe well in terms of the enlightenment story that's just that's one way to look at it but the other way to look at it you know buddha spent his whole life walking around helping um and uh, spreading the dharma basically as i see it when you reach the state of clarity <laughs> uh, which is what i see it as where you see everything all illusions are dissipated and all that's left is what is really going on then that's when you're in a position to really um best alleviate the suffering of all of humanity not just your own it's just like you can only give what you you yourself have received you know you can't teach something you don't know yourself. <laughs> so for me, that's a, that's my perspective with um, enlightenment and or even like removing the term because there's so much 
stuff around that just seeking the truth for its own sake is when that all the illusions are gone and everything is clear and now now just the presence for example i have friends who um would i have a friend who would be considered you know in that state um who is close to me and in his presence it's nothing what he says it's nothing nothing to do with what he says <laughs> um nothing to do with what he does it's just what he is reflects to me what i am and like you know we were having dinner and like <laughs> we we're just having dinner together invite him to my for my to my um to our house for dinner with family and it's just like i would something would be said i would say something <laughs> and then from his response um he was just being himself you know he wasn't he wasn't playing any ego games he wasn't doing anything he didn't want anything from me didn't judge me or anything it was just it was like it was like a perfect clear mirror into myself <laughs> and from his response i'm like what was that about and i feel that's because of the that level of acceptance that level of clarity that that he has within himself doesn't have to if someone wants to see what's going on within them um or the degree to which they want to see it then it's available to them in that presence so for me that's the um that's because you're you know there is also that different one where it's like probably the more popular one which is more the uh is to do with a, like a spiritual fantasy because the spirit the ego is really really sneaky yeah <laughs> it's, it's, yeah it'll then turn it into a spirit i find it very often so recently i was like i was just sitting there's this like method it's called the sedona method where you just allow everything to be um just kind of feel into what you're feeling and let it be there that's a really <laughs> that's basically what it is but it takes a lot of familiarity to actually get it um as you might imagine <laughs> from your own experiences so uh there was this like fat this image came up like you know should i there's there just a thought that came up it was like should i you know stay in this like stay here and like do all this stuff and stay here in this world or should i go into the forest and like run away and <laughs> not run away but spend more solitary time um and then i and then i what i what came from that process was a realization that both instances or like the desire for more worldly stuff and the desire for some spiritual fantasy running being in the forest with a little thing at the root of it is the same thing it's desire and it's moving away from what is right now yeah. and i mean that was amazing <laughs> and then i just kind of let that go and i feel like that's the the sort of clarity so that's the, the clarity i seek i see that in my own contextualization it's at one with the alleviating the suffering of others because mm. then in your presence you know you just laugh at something it's not even logical like you were saying it's not like some scientific process method it's not even a process it's just like someone might be seeing something a certain way and then you laugh and then now they see it in a different way <laughs> but mm. you didn't say anything. <laughs> um mm. yeah because what were you were saying about the whole uh well, material the scientific realism scientific materialism yeah, yeah. The religion of our time if it's if it's provable then it's real if it's not provable then it's unreal i i came from that paradigm into the first ayahuasca session oh jesus you come a long way then <laughs> well, i i was slapped out of it i was really slapped out of it um by that experience by mother i call her lady ayahuasca i know everyone else says right that. right um, yeah what eat you're on the more even footing yeah <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> not your mama she's your lady <laughs> yeah i don't know that's just the way the cave 
just left out of it. Um, and what happened for me is actually uh, the pendulum swung the, you know, there's that pendulum to the scientific realism. And then there's that complete other one where I actually hated it. I now hated it. Uh, it was a hatred that really only recently started to become wow. aware of and let go of because I felt like it was locking me out of so much experience, that paradigm. Yeah. And so much beauty. Yeah, you do. You do get that a bit. Yeah, it happens fairly often. You get people who are atheists and they don't believe in anything and suddenly they're communicating with the divine. And yeah, you might get the pendulum sort of swing head off into that bit of the woo world, you know, and then hopefully the person comes into a more kind of grounded sort of realization of, of how things are. Yeah, well, that's what happened to me. It just went that way. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Then some, like, yeah, I was having like, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't, like you said, I have no idea what it's all about, right? <laughs> no idea. But something like in terms of the third eye, experientially, that was very much my own experiences. I didn't know anything about the chakras. I didn't have any belief systems in it, but I started experiencing these like lit up areas after the, probably the first ayahuasca drinking, maybe for like a couple of months or something. There was just this constant thing here that mm. kind of moved up here. I have mm. no idea what it was. Oh, right. This is on. Uh, I was pointing to my in between the third eye, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah for the listeners and then the crown. Mm. But I didn't know what was going on. It was like independent of me, from my understanding. I was just like, man, um, in my own experience. Yeah. I had like, <laughs> I had like full after the first one, I had like full ayahuasca trips in my bed without doing anything. <laughs> it was pretty. Wow. And that was, yeah, well, Lady Ayahuasca came again. And then there was that period of the paranoia where the, it felt like there was like other things going on. Um, but then it kind of, I fortunately moved through it very fast um, and just kept surrendering it to it. And it seemed to pass of its own. It was kind of like a thing. Um, but I found like, this must be how, <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like for you as a facilitator. Um but when I was at Burning Seed, for example, I didn't, um, best cool, coolest festival ever, by the way, Burning Seed. Uh, I did, whenever on, at night, I didn't myself, I didn't do anything. I didn't have any drugs or anything. But at night, suddenly I felt this like, <laughs> like I was high and seeing shit, but I didn't take anything. And it was like, I was, in, I was standing in the middle of the whole thing and just kind of, whoa, <laughs> I went back to my tent. It was getting a bit, a lot. So yeah, that's, <laughs> this is, you know, like just to say, there's a lot of weird shit that happens. Um, which sound, might sound a bit, probably a bit weird to a lot of people until you experience it. <laughs> like, oh, that's just how things. Yep. Now I'm weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, what does weird mean? Weird just means you're like perceiving something that you don't understand, that you don't have a good understanding of. You know, yeah. I think when, say, if you, when, say, you look at something that's weird you you you're looking at something and it appears mysterious and you can't comprehend it and it brings up an a, and like an element of like fear or distaste because um you can't categorize it you can't put it in a box you know so yeah for me yeah it's all pretty it's like yeah there's still a lot of strange things happening <laughs> that i don't understand and like i said before that's good because your life can only be richer if there's unexplained, mysterious aspects to your reality. And I think the issue with scientific materialism is the dogma, where it's like, no, 
No, we got it covered. Yeah, nothing too much unexplained or undiscovered. You know, yeah, I'm Dr. Carl and we got it sorted here, bro. Just sit back and relax and, you know, it, it's very much, uh, you know, trying to, yeah, very often there's that sense that there isn't a horizon that, and I think um, that there's, you know, like I was saying before, yeah, there's so much that we don't understand and, and, and we don't know. That's where we want to focus on. We, that's where we should be concentrating our uh, energy so that we can grow, so that we can grow in that, we can develop that and, you know, come more into uh, our capabilities and our like health, uh, healthy, healthy sense of who we are in, in, in our expression of our being. Nicely said, man. <laughs> Nicely put. So could I, um, something that's recently come up uh, is in terms of like the differences between the different uh, psychedelic or these plants and drugs and do they all fall into different, so for me, for example, it felt very guided with ayahuasca. Is it, um, with psilocybin, it was a bit all more like, I don't know, guided by the plant itself um and i haven't done other other stuff so i don't know <laughs> um but yeah are there like do they fall into different categories and do they each have their own like risks and what's what's your perspective on that yeah well you know the two basic categories of most psychoactives are the tryptamines and the phenethylamines so uh psilocybin is basically dmt that is orally active because the body cannot recognize it easily whereas if you just eat dmt normally like your body recognizes and breaks it down that's why you need um ayahuasca vine which is an mao inhibitor so that means that it inhibits the enzymes that break down the dmt so it means that suddenly when you take ayahuasca and a DMT source, you've got your, the DMT is able to freely circulate in your system and not get broken down. So yeah, that's, and then there's uh, mescaline, which is the phenethylamine, which is the primary um, phenethylamine found in nature. So they're the two big ones found in nature. And yeah, you've got all these other, obscure more say more obscure compounds like ibogaine is another one for example uh you know salvinorum a for example but these all have vastly different mechanisms of action yeah they are psychotropic but not as um there's something about the tryptamines for example which is very direct and mind expanding and gives you these uh, ultra uh, crisp visual states. So you won't necessarily get that with salvinorum, a smoking salvia. You're just going to become a pencil case for an eternity. You know, you're going to have all these obscure, crazy experiences. And say you take Ibogaine, it's... It's not like it's gonna, you're not going to be traversing the dimensions like you are. You're not gonna have that potential to freely explore those dimensionalities when you take Ibogaine. 
it's more like you're going to be in the realm of the um, of Dr. Aboga. You're going to more have an experience of the Aboga working with you, doing healing work with you. That's what most people are going to experience when they take Ibogaine. So yeah, um, there is, when it comes to these uh, psychoactive substances, yeah, there is, there are issues because they do open you up to all the different dimensions. And that can be shocking, surprising, can create a lot of change and require a lot of um, shift in your life, like you described. Uh, and that can take time. And a lot of people, um, you know, may be surprised that they have a red pill experience which you describe where you have a, a huge change in your reality and in your beliefs and your understanding of reality. So that's a big one. And it can, it can take some people some time. Um, yeah, it can be something that you might not, even for some people, it might be that they, might be out of action for a week or two, you know, worst case scenario. But in general, people are not going to be, I never had anyone say, look, I'm just going to have to go to the mental hospital for the next two weeks or they just go crazy. I never had that happen. And it doesn't mean that it can't happen, but I never seen it happen. Right. So it's, it's not really, people ask me, am I going to go crazy? No, you're not. You're not. You're going to be out of your mind for a bit. And in this context, that's positive because your mind is like a, like Aldous Huxley described as a filter. It's not allowing you to see reality as it is. So you're going to just see reality purely, not, not through the lens of the mental intellectual apparatus. You're just going to see reality afresh. You're going to see reality as it is. That's, so that's a good thing. Um, but a lot of people who are very invested in the mental apparatus, they might have, they might be very stuck. And even some of them might take a bit more work for them to unhinge themselves because they've got a very strong mind. And when they do, it might be even more work for them to really come uh, into a more integrated, balanced way of viewing the world because they've invested so much time and energy into the intellect. So yeah, that can happen. And another thing that I talk about is, um, which, like I said before, all traditional cultures have an understanding of, um, uh, the evil spirits and the bad spirits. So in the Western culture, that is considered a pre-rational viewpoint. That's considered a viewpoint that, hey, we gave that up to, you know, a few hundred years ago. Get with enlightenment, bro. Um, you know, and so that that's that's that that's the the obvious situation where the baby's been thrown out of the bathwater. And, you know, we know the baby's real, not just because all traditional cultures, or I can say personally, I know the baby's real because. <laughs> not just because all traditional cultures say that the bad spirits are real, um, but because in my experience, you, you know, I was, I had a series of 
let's say, initiations where you really have to confront the reality of these entities. And it ain't pretty. It's not, it's not an easy thing to look at. And I think our society is very much uh, deluded in the belief that these, uh, that this sort of agency is not operative on planet Earth. And, you know, like some people say, the matrix, you know, it's quite, it's getting on now. It's like 21 years old. If you watch it, you know, you watch it in the last five years. I think a lot of us have gone, fuck, it looks, looks pretty dated. It looks fairly old, but it really is a documentary because it explains the uh, system of uh, parasitic parasiticism. And it, and you've got the people who are living within the dream world Um they don't know what's happening to them, but they are being used as batteries for the parasites, um, for the, the entities who are feeding off them, feeding off their energy. And they're simply being distracted in their pod, you know. So it's, a me of course, it's a metaphor for consumer capitalism society, where uh, from the perspective of the entities, you know, they are farming us and they're feeding off our energy and we are being disempowered and they don't want us to wake up um you know they don't want us to come into our full power so yeah it is mm. it might well it might well be some struggle to to awaken and come into your full capability or awaken power but yeah they're just parasites they're nothing more than parasites um and yeah they're big and they're gnarly and they can they can cause enormous issues. So my view or my understanding of humanity is we are under the spell of a parasitic infection. Um, and, you know, the powers that be are the parasites, you know, that, you know, the human beings don't, who, who are really working against other human beings, they're not, you know, I don't know if the human the human beings in some ways have just been taken over and many people um i think we can have experiences in our life of people who just appear possessed you know they don't actually have their own autonomous um perspective and agency anymore so there's a lot of that going on um and psychedelics are a a, a, um, a double-edged sword. They can show us the nature of the parasites, of the possession, the real world as it, as it appears, um, which is not necessarily like dark. It's just the nature of nature. Nature itself is fairly hectic. It's all just feeding upon each other. It's all just feeding upon itself. When you see that, hey, well, humanity is just under the spell of a parasitic infection. It's, it's certainly an imbalance. It's certainly a situation where, okay, we've lost a lot of the human agency, the people that we meet, um, and are being directed and driven not not even by any human empathetic 
um, drives. They're actually being uh, impelled by um, forces which don't 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 have any human interest in mind. And we see this in, you know, the the kind of psychopathology of our society, which is a kind of lack lacks care and compassion and doesn't really um, doesn't really you know and I'd say look we as a society don't do very much to fulfill or provide for the human needs of each other you know we're not actually living in such a way where pretty much most of us are living in such a way where we're we're focusing on what it is to be human. We're all just like part of this machine, this crushing machine, which is um, which is not about us, which is about like, you know, feeding the beast, the beasts as it were. So for me, for me, this is like an obvious and evident reality. Yeah, psychedelics can wake, wake you up to this and that can be shocking as hell. That can be frightening as hell. You know, and you've you've been living in this kind of um, Jim Carrey. I'm okay. You're okay. Even though you you know you your your mum's been taking antidepressants your whole life, and you don't know your real mum, and your dad's an alcoholic. But <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm okay. You're okay. You're like you're making them. You're doing the best with what you have. But it's like that's all you know. For example, you know. So. Um, basically yeah reality is 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 frightening and um the other side of it is that the psychedelics can uh open you up to even though you can see these beings and spirits through taking psychedelics they can see you too it's a little bit like the another little documentary called uh, they live i don't know if you've seen that <laughs> no. oh you got to watch it it's uh, so it's so classy because the character the character in they lives finds these sunglasses and he puts on these glasses and he starts to see the nature of reality so it's a little bit like an analogy for psychedelics okay. and so he starts to see the propaganda and the brainwashing and he starts to realize that there's been an alien invasion and the aliens sort of own the place. And so he, when he has the sunglasses on, he can see who the aliens are, but the aliens can also see him and they can see that they can see him. So he, sees, he starts to engage in a warfare with the aliens. So this movie is a metaphor for what happens is how, how shit, how heavy shit can get when you start to awaken and you start to see the reality of the parasitic infection, which the, the aliens represent. So in that case, I'd say, yeah, you know, we, we are in a war, you know, in a, in a situation of warfare. And so it's very tricky. It's really hard. And um, I think that I would say, look, we, you know, we've got to have almost a, militaristic sort of um attitude um you know a militaristic slash new age orientation <laughs> of like, sound good man <laughs> yeah, sound good. 
isn't it? You know, it, it's it's like uh, men who stare at goats. Where <laughs> 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 uh, we're, we're we're really like doing what we can to raise our vibration and you know by raising our vibration this is this is unfortunately it's the best um, english terminology i found yet is where where we're rising we're rising above the parasites because the parasites feed on negative energy hmm. and negative emotion and when we are emanating and you might have noticed anytime you're emanating seriously positive emotion you just transcend everything like everything is just bullshit like you just like uh, like anything that is troubling you or like that might have been an issue otherwise it's just like it's not there anymore you transcended it so you know it becomes an imperative to raise your vibration to bring yourself higher um, so that you can, um, in a sense, transcend the bullshit and the, the parasites are part of the bullshit. For me, um, I get involved in fights with the parasites and I don't have an issue with this. I've accepted it into my life and the parasites, I consider it a kind of community service, I suppose. Uh, in my travels around the world, I'm often fighting these parasites while I'm taking ayahuasca. I'm trying not to pick fights with them. And my modus operandi is, hey, guys, you pick a fight with me. I'm going to pick a fight with you because, um, yeah, they they work within groups and clusters and hierarchies and you, and you take one down and all their mates come after you. So... Um, yeah, this is my daily daily reality. Very that, different. What's that? A very different daily reality. Than no, it's not. It's the same daily reality that I experienced before fighting them, except before fighting them, I just accepted that feeling shit and drained and feeling fucked up and crazy was normal. Right. <laughs> now I don't experience that. So I'm keeping my vibration high and... You know, before I was like, you know, you might go for a drive, you go shopping or whatever, and you just come back and you're like, wow, I feel really drained and shit. You know, I don't feel like that anymore because I'm defending myself and being drained, my energy being drained by the parasites. So yeah, I would, ex I would experience them, but I wouldn't have a context for what they are. And now I experience them and defend myself from them and I take them out and I kill them. And um, for me, that's the only real option that I have. Um, you know, maybe one day I'll get to a point where, you know, I've just transcended the need to do that. But as it appears, I, I feel like um, taking them out is... You know, I don't have any evidence of this, but it does. I think that it 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 might well have some beneficial. Um, it might well benefit um, other people who who might be experiencing their negative influence. So yeah, that's where I've come to. That yeah, I see them in my daily life. They're not like crystal clear. Like when I take ayahuasca, they're crystal clear. Every fine detail I see. 
Um, I feel the more I see them to varying degrees, depending where I'm at, I can see them relatively clearly, but not like, you know, the more it's more like a feeling. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think that, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that's some, that's something to really be aware of that if you're going to, to take psychedelics, and I think in a collective sense, talk about the psychedelic renaissance a lot of the people who are involved in scientific research they haven't got on board with this they're still like operating within the framework of scientific materialism they haven't you know uh, made that psychological perceptive leap let's say into into accepting this reality and that's a shame and that's very foolish if they might appear that they they might appear that they are not being foolish, that they're being sane, rational. But from my perspective, they're being foolish, and um, that, that 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 these entities and psychedelics can be a very dangerous mix because we can open ourselves up to them, and if we don't know, if we don't have a good understanding of how to deal with that, that can be highly problematic and I think that yeah you do hear people say oh no I wouldn't take you know ayahuasca etc without a shaman and I think ultimately that is that is related to these entities and you know the message is getting out there you know I just heard on like Joe Rogan the other day some um someone talking about ayahuasca groups and um that the the uh you know how it's necessary to be aware of the entities related to the ayahuasca groups and like another one dave asprey bulletproof radio the the, uh, the guy who created bulletproof coffee so yeah there is a dialogue that's going out that are going on out there that people are talking about this but I think, yeah, there's a there's there's a lot of people who are, uh, you know, not quite getting on board with this because it's not within the at this point it's not within the realm of the measurable, um, and and uh, easily understood. So, you know, there's barely say DMT research is barely just to the point of like okay let's like Andrew Gallimore and uh, other people um, barely at the point of um, accepting like, hey, let's put people on DMT for an extended amount of time and uh, try and understand the, the entities that people meet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I do think that, um, that the, the, real, the real dangers, the real danger is yeah, and, and as in human life, the, the, the entities are our real predator. And uh, we've got to become very discerning and, and wake up because they are our primary enemy. And at this point, we're losing, you know, the, the benefits of psychedelics is, hey, we're waking up to their reality. And the negative aspect is like, well... In many respects, you can see in the psychedelic world, you can see some people just, you know, open themselves up and become totally possessed, you know. 
So there's many, you know, you can, you can talk about many different aspects within that, that could, it, 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 the psychedelic renaissance could easily be a way for these entities to engage with us more deeply and to influence our life more easily because people open themselves up to them more uh, easily. So that's, that's, that, that's where we are in this battle with this double-edged sword. Well, that's so. Can I explain through my own experiences of what you're saying? Because um, I can only reference it based on my own experiences. It's like um, to me, it's not to do with uh, at least from my own experiences, like entities. Um, that's that's your reality, man. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, my one is more like um, if you're like you're talking about being run by. So that I can relate to, like when you have, um, or if someone, if there's anger or something coming up, then it's very obvious that anger is running me or that anger is running that person. Not so much anymore, not anymore actually at all. Um, but it's that it's not, they're being run by it. <coughs> and it's like, same thing with guilt, you're being run by it. And there's like, I could see how there's, um, like I'm not familiar with it, but I can see sense how there is some something to do with other things in other realms feeding off that <laughs> i just don't see it um but i can i can see how that could be a thing um, <laughs> um it, so that's my experiential thing is, is like guilt if you're if you if you have this guilt then that's your your enemy <laughs> or the enemy there isn't any in my view there isn't any enemy it's just the unwillingness to handle that guilt and let it go or handle the anger and or learn how to deal with it. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's a good way to look at it. That ultimately, you know, the 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 entities are really just reflecting to humanity that we're losers. You know, they're reflecting to us that we're emanate that we're actually being in such a way that we're emanating all these uh, negative emotions, and it's just. Um, and, and they're a natural result of us just not having our shit together and our shit just pouring out of us. Yeah. And us being kind of like uh, constipated and also just full of shit and uh, expressing all these negative emotions. And the consequence is, okay, you're going to have these monsters out there feeding yeah. uh, emotions. And the, the, the negative, okay, okay, there's that, but there's also the monsters aren't just there, you know, free range that actually organize and farming us for those emotions. That's the problem that they're very organized and they're farming us and they're doing, and they are inspiring, you know, what's inspiring the military industrial complex in the United States, creating all these wars, you know, we could say, Oh, it's just money or the, 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 uh, the, the military industrial complex needs to, uh, need someone to buy all their weapons and so on and so forth. But I think at the end of it, um, it's these entities who want to create all this, 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 this negativity. So I think on a personal level, what you're saying is, is, is true. And what I was saying before about, yeah, we are full of shit, but also there are these situations say in countries like Yemen at the moment, where you have, um, you know, a population who are starving, you have a lot of collective suffering, and, you know, 
that's not necessarily something they can, you know, flick a switch and get rid of that, you know, that, 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 that's something that's a real, um, that's actually a war that's being imposed on them. And um, yeah, I do think that, that, uh, yeah, there is that, uh, this, this, this negativity is, 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 is being created somewhere. It's not just that human beings are inherently warfaring, violent, aggressive, um, crazy apes. I don't, mm. don't, it doesn't have to be that way. I think many of us see that, that, hey, this is just irrational, you know, it's not, it's nonsensical. And you get a lot of these people coming back who've been fighting in Afghanistan and uh, Iraq and whatever. They just, it's just, and, and they just see that it is irrational. It's nonsensical. Um, you know, meanwhile, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the trail of suffering and, and destruction is, is, is for what, for why, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think what you're saying on a, and what I was saying before is true on an individual level, but I think there is a collective level that, that we are part of. And from my perspective, I can perhaps come to a deeper understanding, dare I say, acceptance of collective events based on that, hey, wait on, this isn't just irrational bullshit that is being inspired by greed or the military industrial complex. Um, that actually it's, it's uh, being uh, manufactured by the parasites. Hmm. If I were to construct like that into a little, my own thing, not my own thing, but um, as it comes to me is it's like, if you see it, like, you know, the Dalai Lama, um, there's his book, like the art of happiness says like the, you take that compassion is the natural nature of humans. And mm -hmm. so for me, if you take that as true, that ever, that nature within everyone is compassion, then you see that anything that isn't that is really that innate innocence being run by something. Um, and, and that can be collective also, mm. you know, because like, let's say you're born into something um and there's like if you if you hear something and that's the only thing you hear your whole life <laughs> it's very hard to break away from that unless until you experience something unless you have the grace of experiencing something or um really you, you're very limited if not entirely limited to to your to that context to what you hear mm. it has nothing to do with reality it doesn't matter so that's the collective run run by and you can totally see how you can get stuck in that and how do you break free of that? It's only by some sort of act of grace, by my view, <laughs> that you really break free of that. Um, so I, I, I also, I can see how my own view, like run by, I would just say like energies from my own experiences, like certain energies run humanity in different areas. Like, for example, you know, you go into, it's not so much anymore. Like, I think it's changed a bit anymore, but you go, you know, you go into business or something the energy that kind of dominates business kind of shifts it's more like 
going to like uh there's a saying like going to church is one thing but then in the business that's another thing <laughs> like you have a devotional context for one thing and then you have this other one this other energy which doesn't really value at least it seems to be changing but at least definitely in the past didn't value like human experience at all <laughs> it values numbers getting things done <laughs> not human so that's the that's the anything that falls under that is not a priority so that's like the dominating energy structural organizing pattern. Maybe that's like a really good way for the mind to understand it. Like the organizing pattern that's dominating that consciousness is like this get things done. No emotions. No yeah. <laughs> yeah. interest. No, no experience. No, that's not important. And so you can have empathy for that or emotion compassion. Yeah. <laughs> the, the drone world, like I was talking about before, yeah yeah being that there's like that organizing pattern of you go i mean like you know if what the world i grew up in is you go to university like why did i go to university because everyone else went to university <laughs> why do you go to study this and do get a job because everyone else does why do you go and have a house like ever because everyone else does <laughs> it never dawns that oh there's another way there could be another way um that's for me that's really fun i feel like there's society really benefits from those people <laughs> like you um the, the people who go out and try other things and say hey look over here there's this other way <laughs> you don't you don't have to go that way and even if i like what you said about not even finding an answer but really just being willing to question and ask for me it's to do with like gift-based I, I really value gift-based and like here's i offer my services as a gift to you but how do you make money? I don't know. <laughs> and so it's a different paradigm. I don't know what's going to happen from it, even if it works or doesn't work, but that's not really my priority. My priority is just to, it's just fun. It's just fun, you know? And so, there's, you know, it's not just this way. You don't just have to get a house, <laughs> have a family. <laughs> you don't, it's not, that's not just, that, that to me is the organizer. You don't have to be a dick. Like you don't have to be a dick in traffic because everyone's a dick in traffic. Then you, yeah, it's okay to be a dick. <laughs> you don't have to, but you don't know that until you see there's people who aren't in it. And so to me, that's what that like run by an organized pattern external to your own will is yeah. what I would say an entity is in my own view. It's there there are these, just take some honesty. You're you are run by these things that are external to your own willpower. Hmm. Um, and the way my own experience is to to see what, what that is is just to be open to it. Um to learning and to be open to being wrong that's a big one being open to being <laughs> and being a fool and then you start to but then once you get past that then you start to like see it like and then it's and then it becomes fun it's like a fun thing to see where i where i'm wrong and how i'm mistaken and uh correct it um and pray to see it differently um that's that's my own view of entities which i hope can listeners can relate to because <laughs> i'm sure i'm not sure if everyone can relate to the entities thing yet. no it's a big pill to swallow it took me a long time to swallow it now it's like yeah i can't i couldn't it's like the red pill there's no way to go back once you once you swallowed that pill yeah <laughs> all right well i gotta go look at after the dogs um julian <laughs> thank you for joining me um Thank you so much I no worries it, it, it's been almost two hours it just like went by really quickly uh, yeah <laughs> <Let's talk. laughs> yeah dude all right well enjoy wherever you're at thank you for joining um 
Do you have any closing words? Not, no monologues, just like one. <laughs> I think I've said enough already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I could just say, I could, you know, say some Spockisms, but, you know, Spock's <laughs> already said that. You know, okay. I could do that, you know, right. closing, closing symbol. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so if people are interested in like learning or drinking, do they just Julian Palmer? Julianpalmerism.com okay. is my website. And it's all on there. I've got a YouTube channel, Julian Palmer. Um, yeah. Got cool. all the social media cranking. So, yeah. Awesome. Check it out. Thank you. And <laughs> listeners, if you want to, thank you, for, first of all, for listening. If you want to stay up to date, go to the go to Instagram, Joyfulness Broadcast, Facebook, Joyfulness Broadcast, and just like and follow on Spotify if you want to. Bye-bye.